Turn with me your copy of God's Word. This morning we're going to be in Romans chapter 1. We'll be starting in verse 24. Um, it's, it's easy to get bombarded with all the signals, all the things that come to us. Um, and if we're not careful, if we're not very careful, we get to going down the wrong path. If we're not careful, we, we let things and people influence us. And they say once you tell a lie, if you tell a lie enough times, you begin to believe it. And that's what happens in this world. You get to hear all these things and, and one thing after another, whether it be a commercial, a, a TV show, a, a movie, and the, the newspaper, whatever it is, we get bombarded with these messages and you hear it over and over enough that you start to say, well, that doesn't sound so bad. Maybe they've got a point. Maybe they're right. Brothers and sisters, that is why it's so important that you uh, show up to worship not just to, to, to meet your brothers and sisters and be able to fellowship like we were doing earlier, but so that we can open up his sacred text, that we can hear God speak to us through his word. This is how God communicates with us. Uh, people like to walk around and, and say, well, God told me to tell you. That's not how it works. God speaks to us through his, his written word, and that's how we know who God is. That's how we know who we are because of what God tells us. And we, so in order to, to, to compensate or, or even to, to do better, we've got to be bombarding ourselves with God and his word. We got to be in it. We got to be reading. We got to be praying because the, the evil one is at work and he's trying everything that he can to uh, dis distract you from what the truth is. We got to counteract that. If we're not, then we're, our defenses are down. This, this is our weapon. This is our tool. This is our sword so that we can combat the enemy. So if, if you're not spending time in his word, then, then you're weak and defenseless and you're going to succumb to the evil one. Um, when I started this, this, uh, this series in Romans, as I prayed about it for several months last year, you know, we, we, we went through and really talked about uh, our role in God's kingdom and who we, who we are in it and how he's made us, how he's created us. Uh, how do we be a church member? What does it look like to be a church member? And, and how should I uh, act towards that? How do I live this out, right? So I wanted to set the stage. We walked through the book of Acts and we got to see the, the church develop early on after Jesus had ascended and they, he went out and said, you go and make disciples of all nations. We got to see them act that out. They didn't say, well, that sounds like a good deal. I'm just going to wait here until he comes back. That's not what happened. They waited with anticipation, thinking he was going to come any day, but they knew they had a mission and they went about that mission. So we got to see that unfold in, in the book of Acts. And as I pray through, I'm like, well, we got to really learn doctrine. It's a big churchy word. We got to learn theology, another big churchy word. But theology is just knowledge of God, the study of God. 
We all should be theologians. Amen? Every single one of us. We should all know who God is and what he has for us. And so Paul lays it down. Paul wants to make this very clear in his letter about what it looks like to follow Christ. He wants to be sure that everybody reading this letter understands what the gospel is, the good news. And not only understand it intellectually, but understand it in such a way that it pours out through them, that they're dripping with the gospel. And people that come into contact with them, they say, man, what's going on with these folks? This love people for, I mean, people that don't even deserve to be loved, they're loving on them, meeting with them, hanging out with them and, and teaching them. And what, what is it about these people? Paul wants us to get it. And just like we have today, they were bombarded with a lot of uh, information and things coming at them. And so he, he hits it head on. He says at the beginning of this chapter, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Man, I want that so much for us, that we would not be ashamed because the, the gospel is the power unto salvation. Is that important? Is that meaningful? As we go through here today, my goal is to give a sound and faithful exposition of the text. I'm going to do the best I can in order to do that, and I will do so thoughtfully and carefully. I have no intention to diminish or to, to dunk on anybody in the process and to shame them or anything like that. My, my goal, my aim today is just to... to to let you know what thus saith the Lord. This message here this morning will hit very close to home for many of us. And my prayer is that we would listen to the Lord with open minds and hearts and hear what he has to say. I pray that there would be balance in our message this morning between clear conviction about various types of sexual behaviors as well as uh, patient compassion to walk with our friends and relatives who have various desires. I understand there's, there's, there's little ears here, and I'm going to walk around this, but I think it's important even for them, just as it is for us, because they're bombarded with these messages just like we are. And so it's important that they hear the truth and they hear it unadulterated. Well, I'm, I'm not going to get graphic, so don't worry about it. But I think it's important because they're going to get these messages as well. You know, as we talk about this, Paul talks specifically about sexual desires. And uh, I want to make it clear, and, and we've done a great job of this just in, in, uh, in general of being a welcoming church. To, the, to make sure that anybody coming in off the street would be able to come and, and sit and hear God's word be uh, sung about it and preached. And that we would welcome them and walk with them along the way. And so I have no desire to drive homosexual or trans people away. I have no desire to, to drive them away and tell, that they're, tell them that they are unwelcome because they need Jesus and the church just as much as we do. I want to get that straight. So we all need to be confronted with our sin, all, each and every single one of us. That's actually why I started coming here. As a member, and we sat in the pews where you are today, 
uh, the pastor was preaching and I felt convicted. I mean, I was like, man, that's such a good message. But I left here every Sunday convicted about how I felt God. How, how terrible of a person I am uh, when I compare to a holy and righteous God. Each and every one of us should walk out of here every Sunday with that feeling. Not only be convicted, but know that God loves us so much that he didn't leave us to our own devices. But there is hope in our lives. Everybody who comes through these doors should be feeling that way, regardless of your flavor of sin. Everybody needs Jesus in the church. We all need to be confronted with our sin and understand that Jesus has already paid the price for it. So when you leave here today, I hope that you do feel convicted, but you, don't, you also feel like you have hope because Jesus has paid it all once and for all. There is no sin. There's nothing that the blood of Jesus does not cover. Get that. And it applies to each and every one of us. As we read through the text this morning, you'll be tempted to think that it's all about homosexuality. That's where people get in trouble. They, they want to hold this sin atop of everything else. But this text, as we read it through, I don't, I don't want you to get sidetracked. It's not just about homosexuality. While there's certainly a sense of that, that's not exactly the aim. That's not exactly the, the, the complete purpose. I want you to remember the goal as we go through this series and all others for that matter is that you get to know God. That's the goal. And, and I'm, not gonna, I'm not trying to force my opinion or thoughts on it. Like I said, all I know is Christ is him crucified. And that's what I want you to get. I want you to know him as well. Brothers and sisters, my purpose is to stand before you from week to week and it is to transform the way you see reality because that's what they're doing out there. That's what they're doing out there. That's what we get on TV. That's what we get on radio. That's what we get in music is they are trying to transform you, the way you see reality. But God is the one. He is the architect of everything that there is. And if we're going to be transformed, we need to have the renewing of our mind based on the scriptures. So my goal is to reorient you so that you can see everything through the lens of the gospel. Everything, every, every decision, every thought should be taken through the lens of the gospel. And I want you to ensure that God is the center of your life. He's the most important thing the only important person that there is. Just like the sun is the center of the solar system, it holds all the planets in pop proper order. And if we exchange the sun for this man-made satellite, everything would fall. Everything would just be a disaster. Nothing would stay in place. It would be the end of life as we know it. Everything would be out of whack. So with that preamble, as we talked about last week, the downward spiral of the world. If we had just followed God and what he called us to do, the things would look a lot different. But we want to do our own thing. We want to go our own way. We, hey, this feels good to me. I, I want to, to do these things because I enjoy it. But that, that enjoyment is, is only momentary. And we continue to chase after thing after thing instead of, recognizing and honoring God for who he is. We worship the created instead of the creator. 
we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Remember, you hear a lie often enough, it often starts to sound like the truth. You start to believe it as the truth. That's what we've done. The, the human race has exchanged the glory of God for this weightless substitute that has no gravity and cannot hold anything in orbit. And we wonder why things are so messed up. It's because of this that we have a world that is disordered and moving toward continuous destruction. Look with me in your copy of God's Word, Romans 1. We're starting in verse 22. <laughs> like I said, Paul goes after it. He, he comes out at the gate and says, Claiming to be wise, they become fools. Man, this is, he could have wrote this today. All these people that think they're the smartest person in the room and they think they have it all figured out. What they actually are, they have become fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. This destruction and decay that we see in the world is a consequence of the choices that we've made. We have all made these choices to go our own way and God has laid out that how he wants for us to live. He's shown us great mercy, especially in sending his son. He knew we were going to mess up. He knew we were going to try to go our own way, but he still chose to send his son. But because we just wanted to choose our own way, we have left all that behind. So God has basically said, hey, look, if you want to go your own way, you want to do your own thing, have at it. Go do that is your reward. If that's what you want, go do it. Go ahead. And then verse 24 says, Therefore God gave them up to their lusts of their hearts and impurity, to dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. In verse 26, it goes on, For this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. I feel things have stiffened up a little bit. We're probably going to get online and get canceled for reading the Word of God. But this is the reality that we deal with. The implications of idolatry is moral rebellion. And this moral rebellion is expressed in various ways, including exchanging natural relations for unnatural relations. So you might be asking, so what does Paul mean by natural? Simply put, is anything that is contrary to God's design for the world. As we read through Genesis, when God creates, he calls his creation good, and God is uh, infinitely good and wise, and his designs are best for us. It is for our good. The way he designed the world, the way he's designed people and humans it was for our good. In a plain reading of the text, it's hard to miss the condemnation of homosexual practices. This text and others are very clear that this activity is contrary 
to God's will. And it's a violation of a created order. And here is used as, a, as an example. It's an example of the departure from the true knowledge of God and the worship of God. Let me break this down for you. Ephesians 5 and 31 says, Therefore man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What we see play out in, in this marriage covenant is from the very beginning, Scripture outlines that manhood and womanhood exist as a way to show God's relation to his people in Christ's relations to his bride. Christ's bride, of course, is the church. And, and when we see it this way, man represents God or Christ, and he is to love his wife just like Christ loved the church. And we've talked about this before, and, and, and we talked about the, the submitting and all that kind of stuff, but if men really love their wives just like Christ loved the church and gave up his life for her, then, then we wouldn't have much discussion now, would we? If men really took that uh, seriously and did what the, the Bible is instructing them to do, then there will be uh, not much room for argument. But in this way, in this marriage covenant, the man is a representation of Christ for his family. And in the same way, the woman represents God's people or the church. So in this, this sexual union, in the covenant of marriage, what it represents is a pure, undefiled, uh, intense heart of worship. We, we get to see this play out in our own lives, how, how Christ loves the church. We get to emulate that in our marriage covenant. But instead, what we've done is exchange God's glory for idols, and the specific idol that we've chose is ourselves. The specific thing that we want to worship and idolize is our own selves. As people feed into the attraction of the flesh, they, they have these heart's desires, they become addicted to that attraction, and their addiction drives them to the depths of sinful depravity they forget everything else and they just want to go after what is they, they think is right in their hearts. And what happens is sex becomes their God and lust reigns over their lives instead of God. Due to their act of rebellion, God has given them up to their dishonorable passions. It's like, if that's what you want, there's something better there's something good for you, but if you just want to go that way, go. Even though the world and some churches will communicate that homosexual practice is acceptable, it is strictly forbidden in the Bible when you read it in its context. This is why it's so important that we have our Bible reading plan. This is the reason why I preach verse by verse, book by book, because you can pluck anything out of its context and make it mean whatever you want. But when you read it, like you would read a novel, then it becomes more clear what the author intended, what he was saying to those people. But you won't see that on your TikToks. 
they're going to pluck the verse out and tell you that it means something that it, it doesn't mean. But it's very clear from the Old Testament to the New what is being communicated. And society and the world at large does not want um, you to know this. And, and by the way, as Christians, Christ followers, they are not the ones who set the standard. If we read everything through the lens of the gospel, we should go be and checking everything. Even what I say, you should go home today and say, well, he said all this stuff, but I need to read it for myself. I love the story when Paul and Silas is going and, and he, he, he meets his people in, uh, in, called the Bereans. The Bereans are listening to him and, and all the preaching that's going on. They're like, man, this sounds great. This sounds awesome, everything you're saying, but I need to check this. I need to, Paul and Silas, I mean, we know hindsight, you know, they, they're heroes of the faith. But the Bereans was like, I'm just going to make sure that that's what God said. That's what I hope for us. Even with me standing here before you, I want you to check me. And I want you to go check with, with God's word. And if there's anything that I have missaid or misquoted, I hope that you will come to me and let me know. Like, oh, I have a different understanding, but you better use the scripture though. Just because you don't like it and it didn't sound good, that's one thing. But if you come to me and say, well, it actually it says this and you said that in the scripture, then we can have a conversation. But you're like, I, it didn't feel right to me. I don't like what you said. I'm like, I don't, you ain't mad at me. You take that up with God. You take that up with the scripture. But I'm, I'm, I'm fallible. I, I make mistakes from time to time. And so I, I, am, uh, I will humble myself to be able to hear that constructive criticism, but we need to be starting with the basis of what Scripture tells us. People who live with a homosexual lifestyle believe that their desires are normal and they have a right to express them, but the reality is God doesn't encourage any of us to fulfill and satisfy our own desires. You would hear the world say, well, I, I, I was made this way and I've got to express myself because this is who I am. This is how I do it. And I got to do uh, what feels right to me. But that's not what God's work. None of us are to live that way. The world says, follow your heart and do what feels right. But the Bible doesn't tell us to follow our hearts. The Bible says that your heart is wicked. Your heart is deceitful. And it says, instead of following your heart, you follow Jesus. That's what the Bible says. John 14 and 1 says, let, your, no, let, let, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. John Calvin is quoted as saying, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. That's what your heart gets you to continuously creating idols in your life, just like you're in a manufacturing plant creating widgets. That's how your heart is in creating idols in your life. If you don't catch yourself and realize what's happening, the reasons for homosexual attraction are complex. I'm not trying to make any light of it. And it includes biology. It includes biography. I mean, these, a lot of folks have these deep-rooted things that have happened in their families whatever have you. There's, this is a complex issue. And I, I only got so much time that you would probably allow me to. <laughs> and so I don't want to make like this is small or a light issue, but uh, uh, fundamentally it comes down to spiritual brokenness. 
It comes down to their need of a savior. And Paul is clear that these actions are unnatural and offensive to God. But there's good news. There is good news for all of us. And that news is through Christ, there is mercy. There is forgiveness. There's transformation for everyone who turns to Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither sexual immorality, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. See, we want to walk around and talk about how they be sinning. Oh, they don't do and they shouldn't be and all that kind of stuff. We point fingers at everybody. The, the person we should be pointing to looks like this. The scripture says, hey, take the plank out of your own eye before you want to take the speck out of somebody else's. We, that's, that's hard to hear because we want to just go, oh, I got my stuff together. I'm, I'm good. No, you, no, you don't. You are not good. So you might be coming in thinking you're high and mighty, like your, your stuff don't stink, but we need to remember that we need to remember what God brought us out of. We need to remember where we came from and, and where you are now and how far that chasm is. I hope it's a big chasm. Where God has brought you from and where he's brought you to. Don't forget where you came from and what you were wrapped up in before God picked you up and dusted you off and cleaned you up. Some of our, us get too holy and we forget those things. But that's the story of sinners. That's, that's all of our stories. That's our testimony. Two of my favorite words in the Bible are, but God. Man, you, when you read through the scripture and you're reading through and you see these two words, man, I, I, I dare you not to get excited. Genesis 8 and 1 says, but God. Remember Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. Genesis 50 and 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Psalm 73 and 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. First Samuel 23 and 14, and David remained in the strongholds of his wilderness and in the country of the wilderness of Ziph and Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hands. Ephesians 2, 4 and through 7 says, but God, 
being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. You are raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches and his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. But God, brothers and sisters, you were messed up and tore from the floor up, but God cleaned you up. You were wasting away and struggling with your own sin and shame, but God came and cleaned you up. Even after you submitted your life to him and you still struggle with these sins you thought were long behind you and he left, left those behind, but God came and he continues to sanctify you. Oh my goodness, but God. Man, what would life be like if we didn't have those two words in the Bible that he just left us? So don't think you're better than anybody else because they sin differently from you. You're still fighting sin just like they do. And you know firsthand that it ain't easy. I don't know about you, but I, I struggle every day of my life and things come up and I'm like, I shouldn't be looking at that. I shouldn't be saying that. I shouldn't be doing that. It requires a lot of grace. It requires a lot of love. It, it requires a, a support and, and, and a lot of prayers. All of us need each other in this fight. This is not a Lone Ranger Christianity put us together as a body of believers so that we might support one another. We might be praying for one another, encouraging, lifting up, all those things. We need discipleship. We need to de deny ourselves. We need to take up our cross and follow Jesus. Every single one of you, I don't care how you sin, you need Jesus. Remember the root of all of our problems is that humans have exchanged the glory of God for other things. And therefore God has handed us over to bear the consequences of our choices. We want to talk about poor choice and all these things that we got plenty of choices. We make them every day, but what we don't want is the consequences of those choices. But that's what, that's what happens. The proper response should be our repentance. But instead, what we see is further rebellion. We, we see people deconstructing and we see people turning to atheism. Paul gives us some more examples of how we go wrong. Look in verse uh, 28. It says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what was what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliceness. Uh, they were gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faith, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree, they, those who practice these things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, if you thought you were safe, now, if you came in here talking about, well, those people who practice these, these lifestyles ought to know better and they ought to do better. Paul's like, hey, look at yourself again. You need to be pointing here. 
He was using that as an example of about how this world is being more debased, but you need to look at yourself. And he, he writes his list, and I think he covers most of these bases. A lot of us in the room can see ourselves in this list that he puts here. Nobody is safe. Sin is not confined just to sexual sin. Paul lists a whole catalog of folks who messed up. He thought you were going to get away safe. But here he is. He's laying everything out. He talks about uh, coveting, and to covet basically means that you're jealous of other people's stuff. Malice means that you have ill will toward others and are vengeful. We don't want to talk about that. Oh, that person hurt my feelings, or they said this, or they didn't do that. I wish they'd get theirs. Envy is when you not only want things another person has, but they hate that the other person has them. And you not only want things, those things to be taken away, but you want them to suffer the loss of them. Ugh. They don't deserve that. I work harder than they do. That, that should be mine. They, they shouldn't be able to do those things. We all know where murder is, but Jesus said that even if you're angry with your brother or sister, you're subject to judgment. But we want to walk around being angry with our brothers and sisters. Like, see, see you later unless I see you first. You see him them walking down the hall and you turn the other way. You give them the cold shoulder. You may as well have I mean, to, to, to God, that's murder in your heart. The list goes on and on. I, I, I wish I could break down, I mean, but you guys can read. You, you, you have a dictionary. You, you see all these things, and gossip is in there too, by the way. <laughs> it's easy when we surround ourselves with people and we get to talking about different things and we have to catch ourselves. It's kind of gossipy. Maybe I shouldn't be talking about these things. And maybe we should be praying about that person and things that are happening. The list just continues to go on. These folks who are deceitful, they're gossips, liars, rude, arrogant, prideful, disobedient, uh, disobedient to parents, heartless, ruthless. I'm sure we can all see ourselves in many of these things. Verse 32 of Romans 1 says, Though they know God's righteous decree, that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. It's not enough that they go out and do the stuff on their own and make these choices for them in their own lives, but they go a step further and like misery loves company and they want other people to be participating. Like, it's not just me. Everybody's doing it. So it can't be wrong. If everybody's doing it and feel good, like it's got to be right. But that's not, that's not what God's word says. Paulie, Paul flatly comes out and says, you know good and well what you're doing and you know it's against God. You know it is. You know this is immoral. And you choose to do it anyway. Last week we talked about how we know, even if you're not Christian, morality still is infused in us, and we know the difference between right and wrong based on uh, a, a natural revelation. 
We know these things, but we still choose to do it. You know these acts are sinful. We choose to go out and, and follow our own way. Well, uh, well, it was just a white lie. It wasn't a big deal. I don't care what color the lie is. You're still a liar. And it goes against God. It's an offense to God. It's an offense to others. And a liar deserves death. That's what we rightly deserve. It might be one thing if we just send in our own, but we're just we're so messed up that we want to encourage others to join us. Not only that, but we also uh, uh, give our approval and we applaud this sin. All human beings who are created in God's image have this basic moral nature and conscience. A psychologist would say a person without a conscience has a serious personality disorder and they are in need of intense treatment. But most people instinctively know that they're doing wrong, but they decide that they don't care. They decide they're going to do it anyway. They say things like, well, I know it's wrong, but I like it. I want it. I know it's dangerous, but it's worth the risk. They make a game out of it and think it's fun to go against God's law. <laughs> Let me tell you, this, this is not a game. This is not a game. Romans 6 and 23 says the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So we're going to wrap this up. Since homosexuality is such a big topic, I really want to pause and provide some guidance for anyone who is in, uh, has same-sex desires or struggles with their gender identity. Uh, first, um, I would just ask and implore you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Christ for the forgiveness of your sin and receive the gift of God's righteousness. Romans 1 and 16 says, again, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to uh, everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is in righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So first, submit your life to Christ and to follow him. Second, understand that your identity is found in Christ. You are not, uh, your identity is not based on what you do, right? People want to walk around and say, I'm an alcoholic. Well, you, you have been addicted to alcohol, but when you, when you are sober, you might not identify as, a, as an alcoholic. You just need to know you need to stay away from alcohol. God has created you as a male or female and has prescribed roles based on your gender. Thirdly, I want to ensure that God is the center of your life. Any and everything must be reordered and it must revolve around him in order to keep everything else in order. That's necessary, it's vital for us in our lives that God be the center because everything else will fall out of whack if that is not true. Next, the Bible does not encourage anyone to follow their hearts. 
It does not encourage anybody to follow their own desires. All of us in one way or another have to deny ourselves and follow Christ. Let me tell you, my life would look very different <laughs> if I chose to follow my own wants and needs, desires, as opposed to following Christ. I have to put that stuff to the side and say it's more important for me to submit myself, lay all this stuff down, and follow what Christ has called me to do. And to be honest with you, a lot of this stuff ain't easy. Most of it's not easy. What God has called me to do is, is painful, it's hard. It takes a lot out of me, but it's worth it. It's worth it. For you, that might mean that you live a life of celibacy. There are many Christians who struggle with same-sex attraction and have chosen just to be chased out of obedience. And there's others who have uh, actually found love with the opposite sex and are able to live and have families and things of that nature. I'm not saying that you pray the gay away or anything like that. That's not a thing. But we need to set those things aside, our desires aside, so that we might be able to follow Christ. Lastly, as a church, we need to come together to love, to pray, and support those who are struggling. Like I said, there's no better place for people to be than in God's church. To be surrounded by people that love them and care for them, to be there and encourage them, pray for them and pray with them. If they're hanging out on the street, they're, they're not going to get that. They're going to be applauded for what it is they're going to do and continue that downward spiral. We need to be compassionate towards each other and provide a wholesome relationship for one another. Ultimately, we need to remember that no matter how far from godliness someone is strayed, there's always hope in Jesus Christ. Always. There is nothing that the blood of Jesus does not cover. He offers redemption and forgiveness for all who turn to him in repentance. And we need to pray for those who are caught up in all types of sinful lifestyles and work to share the love and truth of Jesus with them so that they can be free from the bondage that is keeping them captive. That's our job. That's our role. That's what we're here for. I know this was a lot. Hopefully you heard my heart. Hopefully you, more importantly, heard Christ speaking to you through these words. If there's questions, if there's thoughts, you want to go deeper, um, that's why I'm here. I'm here to equip you with what God has said, what he's done, help us to make sense of, of some of these things. And, and again, you, you might not like it. It seems weird, it seems odd, especially when we hear these messages from the world. But that's what God said. So how do, how do I live this out in my life? Those are conversations I'd love to have with you. Um, like I said, Vic, Vic loves having these conversations, so you can send them questions to him as well. And others, let's do this together. Let's really live out what the Scripture has called us to in love people, show them that there is hope in this hopeless world. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for helping us here today. For a lot of us, um, you know, this might be an admonishment. 
this this might be the 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 smack in the face for many of us who have thought differently or feel differently or just don't know how to reconcile this with the way in which we live in the world today. But Father, we put our our hope and trust and faith in you that you would help us, that you would shape us and mold us. You would help us to see things through the lens of the gospel um, so that uh, we we would be able to understand and know and be able to communicate it to others, but so that more importantly, we will live our lives for you as the center, that we will seek to please you instead of pleasing our own selves or pleasing anyone in the world, whether they might be close to us, a friend or family member, as important as those relationships are, our relationship with you is that much greater. Help us to live out the life that you called us to. And as we walk with others through various situations and lives, help us to do it in a way that exudes love and, and grace and mercy, just like you did for us that we would walk with them and not necessarily lead with judgment, but we would lead with love, but help them at the same time be able to see the truth. And they would know why it matters to them in their lives. So Father, we thank you for these in Jesus' name. Amen.